Let's open up our Bibles today to Proverbs chapter 13. As we continue our journey through the Proverbs, um, I hope it's okay to, to mention one last thing. Today is my spiritual birthday. And uh, my wife and I, it was 31 years ago, August 20th, 1989. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And, uh, and man, I was telling her today as we were talking, I was like, man, I wish I could just, I wonder if the Lord will allow us somehow like a videotape to be able to see like what was going on in, the, in, our, in our hearts. Like, how did we end up in church? What was our conversation like? All I know is that today when I was spending time with the Lord, I was having that conversation with him and I was saying, Lord, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was just completely dead, 100% dead in my sins. And I went forward to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. And that moment, you gave me life. And for the last 31 years, man, it has been a great adventure. It was, it was, it's not us. It's, we don't even begin to touch the glory but i was just like wow lord what you have done and how he has been faithful all these years and so i'm so excited about that and i just so grateful to the lord i know some of you here maybe you remember the day that you got saved or the season i mean it doesn't necessarily have to be a certain day but i pray that we would never lose the appreciation for our salvation because of the fact that he saved us when we were headed for hell without hope, we would have ended up there justifiably so forever and ever in the lake of fire. Because he saved us from that, he is worthy of our absolute devotion to him. And so um, I pray that never gets old because I know for me it just never, it never gets old. And so in the book of Proverbs, I, I love the Proverbs because we get to learn the skill of life. We get to glean from the wisdom of one of the wisest men who's ever lived. And so we read here in Proverbs 13, verse 1, it says, A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. And so, of course, this applies to those children whose father was wise. Um, we see it often in the Proverbs, uh, how children are to listen to the instruction of their parents. So, so any of you guys kind of still in that situation here, children, and you have uh, your parents who love you, um, what we see right here is a wise child heeds their father's instruction, but a wild child won't be directed or corrected. And so a lot of times what happens with children is they uh, are not listening to their parents. Sometimes they think their parents are square or they're out of touch or they think that they know better than mom and dad. And I'll tell you this, because I've seen it a lot, man. If only the child would listen, what a wonderful life God would provide, huh? Uh, Mark Twain said this, When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. And it wasn't that uh, dad, you know, learned. It was that the child grew up. And that's what we need, huh? God, help our children to grow up to their need to heed instructions. And so we're going to talk a lot about this as we go through the Proverbs for all of us. Verse 2, it says, A man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth. 
but the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. And so uh, we all want to eat well, the fruit of his mouth. And what we find is that a holy heart produces wise words, which then bring bountiful blessings. And so the flip side to this is that the unfaithful will breed and and feed violence. And that can happen in many ways. Uh, Some of you guys right here, some of you gals right here, last week Henry and I were counseling with, with people going through different situations. You'd be surprised on how quickly uh, a domestic argument, um, husband and wife, can end in something violent. And I always have to say this, ladies, um, don't you, you never are, are, would remain in a relationship where a man would lay a hand on you. Never. But if you don't know the Lord and if you're not careful, a lot of things can happen and a guy can end up hitting a girl. I mean, so many things can happen. The violence takes place. I still remember, honestly, in my neighborhood right there in Adelia off of Garvey, I remember growing up, it started with the shouting, and then it continued with the fighting. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. You know what it sounds like when fists are, are being thrown, huh? And then even in my neighborhood, we're talking about stabbings right next door and shootings. Even my dad got shot in a drive-by shooting. So this is real stuff. This actually happens. You know, a lot of my cousins, unfortunately, went through this, through the gang lifestyle. Some survived. Some died. And what we find right here is the contrast, really, between that life of the, of the fool and the life of, of the wise. And it kind of ties into the next verse. Notice in verse 3, it says, He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction and so uh, one of the things you guys are going to hear over and over again is that if you can tame your tongue you will avoid a lot of unnecessary heartache even to the point we see in our passage here of the preservation of life and so um, I, I know that can be literal, like you might die if you say the wrong thing to the, right, the wrong person. Uh, I remember a story, and I'll tell you this real quick, uh, hopefully. It, it was a guy, a big guy. Uh, he was uh, there uh, in the streets, and I guess there was some type of traffic, you know, I don't know, things were getting close. And then you know how guys can be? Sometimes they get a little uh, feisty, and then, you know, there was a, a, a little guy in the next car, and he was just so angry. He was furious. And so the big guy saw the little guy, and he said, if that little guy is, is willing to come after me, I'll bet you the little guy has a gun <laughs> or he has some type of weapon or something. And thank God he had enough wisdom to just get out of the situation. But you'd be surprised on, on, on how if you say the wrong thing to the wrong person, the wrong, the wrong time, the wrong way, how things can escalate. Um, and you, if, you, if you tame your tongue, you preserve your life. But not just, not just life, not just living. I'm talking about John 10.10, 10, the abundant life that Jesus Christ has for us. Watch everything you say, everything you think, everything you communicate. Because um, there's a really cool passage in 1 Peter 3 and verse 10. It says, For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil 
and his lips from speaking deceit. How many of you here, you want to love life? I'm just curious. Do you want to love life? Do you want to see good days? It's going to have a lot to do with whether or not you have the capacity to be a mature Christian who by the power of the Holy Spirit tames their tongue. And we got to guard our mouths. Uh, we have to ask God to guard our mouths. Psalm 141 in verse 3, it says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. He who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. Uh, some people, they open wide their lips. They kind of have a big mouth. And so we got to be careful. Today I was having lunch with my wife, and and uh, she was taking a long time to eat. And I think maybe it's a guy-a-girl thing, you know? And I was like, man, I better slow down. Otherwise, I'm going to eat uh, so fast that I'm going to finish before you even get started on your in your entree. And, um, and she said, that's because I have a small mouth. That's why. And mine is bigger, so hers is smaller. <laughs> We've got to have a small mouth, if you know what I mean. Verse 4, it says, The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. And so, some of you here, you know what it means to work hard, huh? Um, but just because a person is hardworking physically doesn't necessarily mean that he's hardworking spiritually. And that's what we see here. We read about the soul of the lazy man and the soul of the, the diligent man. You know, it says right here, the soul of a lazy man desires. And even the lazy man desires. I think deep down inside, we all desire the things that only God can give. We, we long for spiritual riches. But if we're not willing to really make the time to work hard and be diligent, disciples and not just read your Bible, not just attend church service, but you're digging into the Word, you're hungry for it, you want to learn it and live it, you want to listen to Bible studies, you want to read Bible-based books, which is us just gleaning from teachers, and, you know, a lot more than just a sporadic interest. If we're not willing to work hard for the spiritual riches, then we won't have hardly anything as a matter of fact notice again it says right here the soul of the lazy man desires and has nothing nothing but if we're diligent as disciples we will be made rich spiritually you know and i think that's obviously what we want we're going to know god we're going to serve god we're going to be all that god wants us to be there's an interesting passage in Philippians 2, in verse 12 and 13. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And so Paul had this great relationship with the Philippian church, and he said, you know, not just when I'm there, but even when you're all alone and it's just you and God, work out your own salvation. I mean, we don't work to get saved. Salvation is a gift. The moment you repent of your sins and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're saved. You're blood-bought and forgiven, and you're on your way to heaven. But now we work hard 
we work out this salvation. And what that means is that when God saved you, he saved you to serve. When God made you, he made you with a mission. And the last thing in the world we want to do is get lazy as God's people. And so we work it out, man. And we do it with fear and trembling. Why? Because of the Lord that, that we love. You know, we do it in so many ways. And I, you guys hear me talk about this a lot, but I really want to encourage you because I know that a lot of times people have a hard time praying. I think that praying is probably one of the most difficult things to do because our flesh doesn't want it. The devil doesn't want us to do it. And yet there is no way, there is absolutely no way you can be anywhere near the person that God wants you to be and be effective and everything that he has called you to be unless you have a healthy and obedient prayer life. And that's why Epaphras, when he prayed for the Colossian church, the Bible says that he labored fervently for them in prayer. And the Greek word is where we get our word agonize. He agonized for them. And so verse 5, it says, A righteous man hates lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. And so in these two verses, once again, we see the common contrast between the righteous and the wicked. And what we see here in verse 5 is that the righteous man hates lying. He hates it. You know, and I have to ask myself, I think we have to ask ourselves, do we hate lying? You know, John 8, 44 talks about the devil being the father of lies. When you lie, I always tell you guys this, it's the language of Lucifer. Um, sometimes uh, people lie through exaggeration. Sometimes people lie even from the pulpit, from speculation. Sometimes people lie and they think, well, it's just a half lie. No, a half lie is a whole truth. There's no such thing as a white lie. They're all dark. We, as God's people, should hate lies. And that's what we see right here. A righteous person, they, they hate it. Uh, we see here in verse 6 that that type of righteousness, that type of blamelessness, guards that person from evil. But the contrast here is the wicked man, and uh, we're going to see it's kind of inherent within the verse, he has no problem lying. Uh, and sometimes people end up lying to get themselves out of trouble when little do they know that that lie gets them into trouble. You know, sometimes people lie because they want to get out of trouble or they want to get something that they want that they can't, they feel they can't get soon enough or according to, you know, this truth. And, and God says, listen, Trust me, because what happens is what, when you have that wicked man who has that mentality, what we see right here is one day uh, they will be shamed and overthrown. Verse 7 says, there, there is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. And so... You know, if you were to talk to most people in the world, obviously they would say that, you know, one of the goals in life is to get as much as you can. I think we all know, however, that there are those who end up as miserable millionaires. What we find is that anyone not willing to share 
will be there, friendless, loveless, and even lifeless as a result. And they, they make themselves rich, yet we read right here they have nothing. And what that means is at the end of the day, they have nothing of real value. Because what, what really matters are the things that are eternal. What really matters are relationships and friendships that we invest in. What really matters, what's really valuable, are the things of the Lord. You know, but we see the principle here, however, that if a person is generous, generous enough to give it all to God, then it says right here, one who makes himself poor, yet that person has great riches. And I don't know for sure everyone has to listen to the Lord as far as how you're going to do the finances that have been given to you as your stewards of the finances. But, you know, we know the rich young ruler, the money was getting in the way. And so the Lord said, hey, you need to, you know, sell everything you have, give the money to the poor and come follow me. Sometimes you have people like that. They just give everything away and they, they're, you know, they're gone as missionaries. So it can be something like that. But I think uh, for most of us here, it's going to be a transfer of stewardship in that you say, Lord, all of this is yours. And you're going to find yourself, when that's your heart, then you will be a very generous person. You will be a very giving person. You, you know, you make yourself poor, but, but really you're rich. You know, the world, they have those seminars where they teach you how to get rich and how to make money and how to flip houses or whatever. And that's fine. You know, in, in one sense, the Lord knows all of our callings, but we're here to kind of learn how to get rich in a different way. We're here to learn that if we want to be rich spiritually, it has everything to do with being holy and being people of generosity. You know, some people, they, they, they you know, they make themselves rich. And I was even talking to Shelly about this earlier. Let's just say you did get rich. Let's just say there was a calling on your life and you said, no, I don't want the calling. I'm going to pursue money. That's my master because you can't serve God and mammon. And let's just say you got rich and whatever. Um, you know, you had it for 50 years, but then you die. What happens to those riches? They burn. You go to heaven and you lose your reward. Let's just say you were a Christian and you got in by the skin of your teeth. And so when you compare it to eternity, it's like you only had it for a second. And I was thinking about um, a couple of individuals in the Bible. One of them, do you guys remember that guy Achan? In the book of Joshua, when they went into the city of Jericho, uh, they were supposed to leave everything for the Lord. But this guy went and he got some treasures and he took it under his tent. And as a result of that, there was sin in the camp. And God, you know, always, he always exposes the sin. And then what ended up happening to him is, uh, you know, Joshua came and they found out it was under the tent. He didn't have it very long, huh? <laughs> And, uh, and ended up killing him and his family. That's kind of how the riches will have wings and they'll just fly away. Uh, Gehazi, the same thing. You guys remember him. He was the servant. Think about this. A servant, an assistant to Elisha. Uh, but one day, a name in the Syrian, he came and God used Elisha and the Jordan River to take away the leprosy. And uh, so Naaman came and offered them, you know, money and clothing and all the things the world has to offer. 
And uh, Elisha said, no, I don't want any of it. He probably needed it, but he didn't want it from him because he didn't want to taint the work that God would do, hopefully to reach Syria. But what happened was after the guy split, you guys remember Gehazi went behind Elisha's back and he said, you know what, um, we need that stuff after all. So, you know, we had some people come. So can you go ahead and give us the stuff? And so he had it. He went, he got it from Naaman, all that riches. And then he went and what did he do? He hid it, but he couldn't hide it from the Lord. And then he came back and then Elisha, because you couldn't hide anything from Elisha, he found out and Elisha said, um, the, the, the leprosy that was on Naaman, it's, it's going to be on you now. And, and what that, that, I was just tripping out. I'm like, Lord, we don't enjoy those riches for long. And so, again, I'm not saying that you can't make a lot of money because I know that the Lord blesses people sometimes. But just as long as it's not your God and it doesn't get in the way of the things that the Lord has called you to do. Now we find right here that there is one who makes himself poor, it says in verse 7, yet has great riches. And of course, that, that is epitomized in Jesus. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And so, uh, verse 8, it says, The ransom of a man's life is his riches, but the poor does not hear rebuke. Now, this is a, a little difficult verse to understand, but I think when you look at the other translations, uh, it helps. Um, and basically, what we find, that word ransom right there is the key, is that usually where there's big money, there's big problems. Uh, when a man is rich, sometimes he or his children will be kidnapped for ransom, right? But the poor man, it's right here, it says the poor does not hear rebuke. Other translations say the poor hears no threat. And what that basically means is that there's not going to be any ransom there because he's poor, he or his children uh, won't be kidnapped for ransom. And again, I, all, all the Lord is saying here is that don't pursue riches. You know, I was listening to a study today by Pastor Chuck Smith, and he was uh, talking about how one time they were there in the church, and uh, they started doing some building when they got the new property. And, you know, he was kind of wondering, Lord, how are we going to do this? You know, because this is uh, big money. And there was a man who came in, and he wanted to meet with Chuck, and he offered Pastor Chuck a million dollars he said i've been uh, i had this investment and it's just grown and when it originally started i wanted i knew i wanted to give it to god and so now uh, it's time I, I feel like the lord's telling me to give it to you we know we're in the middle of a need here in the church so pastor chuck just told him okay i'll pray on it you know I think if for me, prior to a lot of the things, I probably would have said, okay, let's sign right now. Let's take this taken care of, you know. But, you know, the Lord told him, no. I don't want you to take that million dollars from him. I want to, if you do, then he'll get the glory. I want to provide. 
I want to be the one who gets all the glory. And it was so cool because if you guys, you know the story with Pastor Chuck and Costa Mesa, man, God has blessed them in such an amazing way. But what we find, you guys, is that if you're pursuing riches, then it's not going to be a good thing. It'll, it'll be a train wreck. I mean, being rich is not all that we put it out to be. But, but if you pursue the Lord and he blesses you, cool. If not, don't worry. He will always provide beans and rice in Jesus Christ, right? <laughs> Verse 9, it says, The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. And so the kids sang that song. Um, remember that song, This Little Light of Mine? I'm going to let it shine. Uh, Aurora, um, Mercedes' granddaughter, she sings this song with her little guitar and everything. And what we find is that the light of the righteous doesn't just shine. It, it rejoices. It shines brightly, even joyfully. But, but it's interesting here how it says the lamp of the wicked dies. And it's put out. And that's a sad thing because we live in a dark world. Now, one of the things that was interesting about this verse is that the, the light of the righteous and the lamp of the wicked. The light of the righteous takes me back to the book of Genesis. When God said, let there be light, that, that's the Hebrew word used there. And uh, it's, it's like the light of God. That's what we reflect. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, 14 and 15, it says that we reflect that light. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You guys, this light that you have is the light of God. And so let that light shine. You know, the, the lamp that the world has, it's just a little teeny tiny candle. And sometimes you get someone and they're moral people. But it's nothing. That lamp, that little candle, is nothing like you. Because you are the light. Because of Jesus who lives in you, you are the light of the world. Verse 10, it says, By pride comes nothing but strife. But with the well-advised is wisdom. And so, I don't know if you guys have learned this or not, but do you ever experience strife? Where there's strife, then what has happened is pride has reared his ugly head. And I can tell you this by first-hand experience, that we all have pride. We all do. You know, that today I was uh, doing something that I normally don't do. My wife always does the dishes, man. Once in a while, like, you know, when it, once every the time there's a coronavirus type of thing, once in a while, I'll do the dishes. No, I'm just joking. But this morning I was uh, putting them away from the dishwasher, and, uh, and she told me, oh, don't do that because, you know, the heat is coming out. They just got done, and... And I want to wait a little longer, you know, while they get kind of thoroughly disinfected. And, you know, right away you can feel like the pride wants to come up. Like, you're telling me I'm doing something wrong? And you're right. But it was just so cool because I just said, okay, sweetheart. And I closed the door and I thought to myself, you know what? She's right. And I knew it because while I'm taking these dishes out, it's hot, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and then when I went 
and I was just hanging out with God. I was like, Lord, thank you for that little victory. Because I just know how, how we are, how a lot of times it's hard for us to say I'm wrong and you're right. But whenever there's strife, whenever there's that kind of stuff, I can tell you this, that it's pride. That's what we see here. But the humble, they're open to correction and counsel. And it's so cool when you see that happen. Verse 11, it says, Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. And so you got those out there who are making dishonest dollars. I, uh, I'll tell you, uh, we only got three more verses. Don't worry, guys. We're not going to do the whole chapter. But um, I have a couple of, uh, of friends that, um, and of course, we've all probably been guilty of this in one way or another. But I, um, I have a friend, and um, he used to work at a, at a uh, recycling center. And, uh, you know, when you go and you recycle your whatever, your aluminum cans, and they give you a, a check. And so when he was younger, he used to write checks to himself. <laughs> and so you get those dishonest dollars, but eventually it's going to catch up to you, right? I had another friend. He was brilliant in real estate, brilliant in business ventures, but he didn't do it by the letter of the law and he ended up getting in trouble. Yes, there is that aspect. And he ended up doing, both of them ended up doing uh, jail time. And so Abraham Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, he said, you can fool some of the people all of the time, all of the people some of the time, but you can never fool all of the people all of the time. And eventually um, your dishonesty will be exposed. You know, when we do it right, it's so cool. Not only does God... Uh, honor that but if you are working hard then you'll be able to not only attain but maintain verse 12 it says hope deferred makes the heart sick but when the desire comes it is a tree of life and i know there are some of you here that you have desires inside of you that are are put there by god and god will give you the desires of your heart. Now, sometimes it takes a while. That's what it says right here, hope deferred. The word deferred, it means to put off for a later time. It means to be postponed. And so it's hard. I, I understand that. And the Bible even says that. It's hard that hope deferred, it, it makes the heart sick. But the promise is, is that when the desire comes, it's just a beautiful thing and that God will do. So my encouragement to you, as God has put desires inside of your heart, is you just keep your eyes on the Lord, and you let Him carry you through the difficult times. Let Him nurse you to health. And when that desire comes, it is going to be absolutely beautiful, because it will be in God's timing. I was thinking about Moses when I read this verse right here. And you guys remember his story um, um, event when he was 40 years old? The uh, Acts chapter 7, it talks about how it came into his heart to visit his brethren. Somehow he found out he was Jewish. Somehow he found out that he was the one to deliver Israel. Think about that. And so he went and he saw the whole thing happen. And, you know, the Egyptian mistreating one of his fellow brothers. He kills the Egyptian, but the Jews weren't ready for him. In one sense, he was ready, kind of, but they weren't. 
And so what ended up happening is he was then forced to flee Egypt. And for 40 years, think about it, for 40 years, he had to wait. And then, you know, it got so bad that he almost gave up on that desire. He almost gave up on that promise. And then God appeared to him in a burning bush. God sent him back to Egypt, the ten plagues. And then God leads them out of Egypt. And they cross through the Red Sea. The Red Sea, you know, swallows up the army of Pharaoh. And I was just thinking, even though I know Moses went on and had some difficult times as a leader, I was just thinking... Imagine how Moses felt when he was able to see the people free. And that was what was in his heart. And so God will do that, you guys, with you as well. Two more verses. He who is despised by the word, he who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. The law of the wise is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. And so, you know, to despise the word, to think little of the Bible. You know, we have to have that heart that esteems the scriptures. You know, I, I think I've told you before how in the old days when they would start services, what they would do is they would have the pastor come in and he'd walk in. I don't know if you guys can see this, but he would walk in with the Bible above his head. Uh, the Anglican Church did that. Other churches did that. Why? Because the message was um, the Bible's above the man, that that we don't despise it, that we esteem his word. The Bible even says that God esteems his word and he places it even above his name. And so what we find in looking at this is that we have to have a healthy fear of God. Notice again in verse 13, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. Isaiah 66, in verse 2, it says, But on this one I will look, God says, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. You know, I was remembering the book of Exodus chapter 19 where we have the story of the people of God and they heard the, the Lord. You know, they heard uh, the Lord giving the Ten Commandments and the mountain was shaking, and there was smoke, and there was this voice of God. And uh, it says there in Exodus 20, in verse 20, Moses, as they, as they, the people spoke to Moses. They said, Moses, you know, we can't talk to God. We can't hear his voice. You talk to God. They were, they were so afraid, in one sense, of, of God's word. And, and then Moses said, God has revealed himself this way to instill a deep and reverent fear of him to keep you from sinning. And I don't know, I mean, we can't necessarily see the mountain shaking. We can't hear his voice or whatever, the smoke that reveals his glory. But, but when you really read it, you can. And that, that healthy fear of esteeming God's word is so important for us in our life. You know, later in Deuteronomy chapter 5, when Moses repeated the, the, the history of Israel, uh, Moses, talking about the same incident, was talking to the Lord, and in Deuteronomy chapter 5, in verse 29, God said this, Oh, that they had such a heart in them 
that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. And that's what the Lord said. Lord, you know, when we have that healthy fear of God, God says, I, I wish they always had that fear, that healthy fear of me and my word. Because notice again what it says right there. But he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. And the Bible says that in Psalm 19, verse 11, speaking of the scriptures, it says, Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. The law of the wise is a fountain of life. May we never forget it. To turn one away from the snares or the traps of death. And so, you know what? Praise God uh, that you guys would come out on a Thursday night. And my prayer is that you come out to, to seek the Lord. You come out to study his word. And that it doesn't end here. But that you go home and you're, you're, you're spending your days saturating yourself in the scriptures. Because Moses, when he spoke to the people, he said, I set before you life and death, blessing and and cursing that, those are the options that, that we have he told the people choose life and I encourage you tonight in the same way choose life choose Jesus with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind with all your strength